Well, thank you for both of the beautiful songs this morning, outstanding, and I'm delighted to welcome our guest today to West Coast Baptist College. We're excited about what God wants to do in your life, even this morning, and uh, we believe that there's a great need in our world for the gospel, and that every one of us have a responsibility to take that gospel to a lost and dying world, and that's what this is all about today, and so welcome, and thank you again for being here. I'd like to just take a moment and recognize uh, if you are a graduate of West Coast Baptist College and you brought even one student or maybe a larger group of students, but you're a graduate and you brought uh, some guests to be here at West Coast Up Close, I'd like to ask you to stand. We'd like to see where you are all over this auditorium. Just stand right up and stay standing for a moment. And I want to especially thank you for being here today. Uh, thank you for standing true to God's Word. Thank you for loving God and loving young people. God bless you. And uh, we welcome you back to the campus today, and it's always a blessing to have uh, graduates especially, and then every parent and every pastor and uh, youth worker that's uh, made a journey to come and be with us. Thank you uh, for coming to check out West Coast Baptist College. We're so glad that you did. You know, as I think about what God has called us to do in this place uh, for these almost uh, three decades now as we've been training laborers for the harvest uh, the entire concept revolved around the Great Commission and revolved around the belief that if you're going to be involved in ministry, you need to understand the local New Testament Baptist church. And uh, that's uh, what is surrounding this college, and that's what sponsored this college is the local church. And uh, we want you to know that God's institution for reaching the world is the local church, and that's the differential here. We want you to see it, feel it, get involved while you're training for the ministry, and uh, let uh, God use you. This is, uh, this is an independent Baptist college. And the word independent means that we're free. Amen. We're free from uh, being held down by organizations that are woke. Uh, we're, we're not attached to those types of uh, uh, organizations. We, we want our, our graduates to get out and stand firm on the Word of God as autonomous, Bible-believing uh, young people. And so uh, we're independent of the denominations that struggle with feminism and uh, ordaining uh, homosexuals and all the weird things we hear about today. We want to stand true to God's Word, not to the culture. And that's the kind of philosophy that we have here at West Coast Baptist College. So we're independent. We're a Baptist college. We don't apologize for that. Baptists believe the Bible is the Word of God. Amen? And uh, we want to we want to propagate uh, f more Baptist churches that will make a difference uh, in our nation. And uh, so this is a place that holds firm uh, to the fundamental doctrines of the Word of God, to our Baptist heritage, and uh, we're independent uh, Bible believing people like you. And we want you uh, to come and learn uh, from some tremendous teachers. Thank the Lord that just in this week our accreditation was approved for another ten years. And that speaks to a very strong academic environment for you, along with the practical. And uh, I know of no other place in the country that has uh, something like going on here. 110 baptized in the last six weeks at Lancaster Baptist Church. And you combine that together with uh, the uh, accreditation and the academics, and you've got a great balanced educational environment. So we hope that you'll get a glimpse of that in all the classes and, and in the ministry uh, uh, opportunities that you see while you're here. And uh, we're very excited about how God is providing uh, for our students. Just last week, I had lunch with one of our chapel speakers who happens to be a Messianic Jew. And uh, he said to me, he said, Pastor Chapel, every student uh, that you can get involved in our Jewish evangelism this summer 
uh, will pay their first semester in Bible college. Now, that would include some of you seniors. You say, how's God going to provide? Where God guides, He provides. And uh, here's a man who's willing, uh, if you'll be a soul winner, all you have to do is be a soul winner this summer, he'll pay your entire first semester uh, at West Coast Baptist College. It's known as the West Coast Baptist Jewish Evangelism Scholarship. Many of you ought to be involved in that. And it just amazes me how God provides for the students at West Coast. And so ask questions about these things. And let me encourage uh, those of you that are here, juniors and seniors especially, try to look past the fact that you're in a different state, a different church, you're on a trip, you're with a friend, you have a boyfriend, you have a girlfriend, you're confused about whether you want to uh, major in you know, underwater basket weaving or missions, you can't figure it all out. Try to look past all of that fog and try to listen to the Word of God today. And let the Holy Spirit really guide and direct your life. And uh, he'll, he'll help you discover your destiny. And he'll help you fulfill your purpose if you'll follow him in that way. So welcome. We're very glad to have you here. Very proud of our student body. And uh, thank you again for that great music this morning. Turn, if you would, to the book of Philippians chapter 2 for our chapel message this morning. Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read this morning beginning in verse 16 down through verse number 21. I've entitled the message, The Call of the Ministry is really a call of God. I also would subtitle this, uh, The Ministry Heart, and that also is a heart for God. But we're going to preach today about what it really means to be in ministry. And I want you to stand together as we open the Word of God today, Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 16. Now, many of you are already called. You know that You've made a decision, you've given your life to the Lord, whatever He wants. And can I tell you something, that that, that direction is affirmed and given specifics uh, over time. You don't have to know every aspect of God's will today. You don't have to know where you're going to serve or, uh, you know, exactly what your major even is. The Lord will help you with those things day by day. But you do want to be completely surrendered. And I'm going to show you a man in the Bible this morning who was completely surrendered, the Apostle Paul, and he's challenging another and telling us about another who was going to take his place, who also was completely surrendered. And so Philippians 2 verse 16 says, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy, and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Now, I can tell you the purpose of this chapel, the purpose of this day, is to get you to consider, are you going to be seeking your own, or will you seek the things which are Jesus Christ's? And the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And that's what West Coast Baptist College is all about, helping you seek the things that are Christ, listening to His call and answering that call. Let's pray together. Father, please bless our time in Your Word today. Help us to be like Timothy, a people that are 
listening to your call and following the will that you would place upon our heart today to be after souls, to help others to know Christ. And so, Lord, raise up a new generation of soul winners, laborers, preachers, teachers, evangelists, media workers, Christian counselors, missionaries. Father, help us as we have a great harvest in this day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. God has placed a calling on the life of every believer. Someone has said, who needs a call when you have a command? Jesus Christ said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And this is his commission to the church. The Apostle Paul giving his testimony in 2 Corinthians about how he got saved and how his life was changed from glory to glory, from the Old Testament to the New Testament the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul said, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. In other words, he felt that he was given the ministry at the moment of his salvation. And generally speaking, that is a truth. Every person that is saved has a purpose in life, has a ministry, has an opportunity to glorify God. Spurgeon said, The true shepherd spirit is an amalgam of many precious graces. He is hot with zeal, but he is not fiery with passion. He is gentle, and yet he rules his class. He is loving, but he does not wink at sin. He has power over the lambs, but he is not domineering or sharp. He has cheerfulness, but not levity, freedom, but not license, solemnity, but not gloom. We like to say that with God's calling comes God's anointing. The idea of being a pastor, for example is not something that can be done in our flesh or by ourself. The job of the pastor sometimes is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And in order to know what to do and when to do it, in order to know how to lead at a given time, requires the calling of God and requires the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. And every one of us today need to ask the Lord to have His will and His way with us. Now, as Paul writes to the Philippian church, he is writing about his ministry. He is writing about a helper in his ministry by the name of Timothy. And I want you to notice three aspects about the calling and the serving in ministry from Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Notice, if you would, first of all, the call of ministry. I believe the call of ministry is a call to the Lord. It's a call to holiness. It's a call to serve Him. But I want you to notice specifically in this text that the calling of the ministry in Paul's life revolved around heralding the Word of God. Heralding the Word of God. The call to ministry is a call to know God and the Word of God. And God's will is that we would be as Baptists a people of the book. And God says in verse 16, holding forth the word of life. Would you say that with me, please? Holding forth the word of life. One more time. Holding forth the word of life. 
Here at West Coast Baptist College, we do not apologize for being a Bible college. We believe more uh, than the need for medical advancement or new motors for Chevrolet or Ford, more than we need more in the, in the science fields, more than we need in the law fields. We need men and women who know the book and who know how to give answers to their world from the Holy Bible. This is a Bible college, and we want every student to know how to hold forth the Word of life. The Bible, the Word of God, for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We believe that Bible preaching is more powerful than counseling, more powerful than rap sessions, more powerful than activities, more powerful than all kinds of political agenda. The great need of America today is the preaching of the Word of God. And we are called to hold forth, to herald the Word of God. This is a Bible college, and we believe that every student needs to know God and know the book. And don't put a little dampening on that. Don't act as though that's lesser important. That ought to be the number one desire of your life, to know God and to know His Word. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that we have... A Bible college where 100% of our concentration is on the Word of God and ministering the Word of God to children, to people in the Philippines, in China, in America. We want to be focused on that. I opened up my refrigerator yesterday, and in the refrigerator, I saw that there was a, a, uh, a bottle of orange juice. It was 100% concentrated, freshly squeezed orange juice, and I like it that way. I like orange juice that's just real orange juice. I mean, just got all the, all the vitamin C you can possibly take and 100% concentrated. But you know, there's another kind of orange juice, and you see it in the stores, and that kind of orange juice is about 90% water and 10% orange juice, and it tastes gross. It kind of tastes maybe like Kool-Aid or something. You don't want to drink Kool-Aid in the morning. You want real, fresh, 100% concentrated orange juice in the morning. Now I want you to understand something about West Coast Baptist College. This is not a liberal arts college that has 90% liberal arts programs. And yeah, we've got a little Bible department over here too. We've got a 10% emphasis on ministry. No, 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 no. This is a college where 100% of everything we're doing, everything we're teaching is all about Jesus and the Word of God. And we're not ashamed of that. We believe it's a great need today to be concentrated on the Lord and concentrated on the Word of God. The call of ministry is a call to the Word of God. God never calls us to do something without first equipping us with His Word. This is why He admonished Timothy, the apostle did in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the Word. Be in and in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own, uh, after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Listen, that time has come, and some churches no longer want doctrine or the preaching of the Word of God. They'd rather have a rock concert or a drama or something of that nature. But let me tell you the great need of this hour. People are coming to church. They don't need more entertainment. They can get that on television. What they need to know is what the Bible says about the needs of their life. 
And this is why we must have the answers. And in a day when people are crying out for answers, many Christians are stuttering. Many Christians are not sure what to say. And that is why you must understand the call of the ministry is a call to know the Bible and the Word of God. And yes, this is why we teach Bible doctrines and Old Testament history and New Testament history. Oh, we teach you media and layout of the various different uh, websites. And we teach about how to counsel and how to organize a church. There's a lot of practical classes, but we must know the Word of God. And we must know the God of the Word. And so we understand the great priority of the Word of God. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said a man who feels he is competent and that he can do this easily and rushes to preach without any sense of fear or trembling or need for preparation is a man that perhaps has never been called. I'm telling you the calling of God places upon your heart an understanding. I need to know the Word of God. I need to grow in my relationship with God. And so the Word of God makes the difference. I have a dear friend. His name is Ed Bordell. Some of you might support Brother Bordell as a missionary. He serves down in Costa Rica. I remember when Ed first came to church years ago, 40-some years ago. He rode his Harley-Davidson into the church parking lot. How many of you know people don't just ride Harley-Davidson's? They have to always make extra noise with Harley-Davidson's. He kind of revved that thing up, parked that thing, and had a big, long ponytail, came into church. Ed heard the gospel. He got so under conviction, he went back to the church to find somebody, after he'd already left church, somebody to tell him how to get saved. And he got, got discipled, got to growing, went off to Bible college. He felt God wanted him to learn how to tell other people about Jesus. He didn't know exactly what even that meant. He didn't know if he would just go back and uh, work at his church somehow, or if he'd be a, uh, maybe somehow involved in secular work, or maybe he'd be a preacher. He just didn't know exactly. He just knew that he wanted to know the Bible so that others could know the Bible. And while he was in Bible college, the Lord let him learn a little bit about missionaries and being a missionary, and people actually go to foreign countries and churches like this, give them the money to go, and they win people to the Lord in foreign countries. And, and uh, so God burdened his heart for Costa Rica. Brother Bordell, just not too many years after being a hippie and not too many years after being in the drug culture and kind of a terrible past, just newly saved really in some ways, uh, maybe four or five years into it, found himself married and on his way to Costa Rica. He didn't know a lot about being a missionary. He just was fresh out of Bible college, but he knew that everybody needed to know Jesus and what the Bible said. And Brother Bordell went down, oh, now about 35 years ago or so. He began to just find people that would talk to him, and he found that most of the ones who talked to him were teenagers. And so one by one, he began to lead teenagers, a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old. And he got a little group of them together. I went down and preached for them. They were in a storefront, and, and they had about 40 people, not, not really one family, just mostly teenagers and maybe some single moms. But he was taking what he'd learned in Bible college, and he was teaching them about Jesus and about the Word of God and eternal life. And he was so excited. And a few years later, he called. He said, Brother Chapel, we, we need to get a place to build a church. And our church had the privilege of buying the property where they built an amazing, amazing church. And, you know, I was there a few years 
years ago and I was picked up by a man who picked me up in a Mercedes Benz. He drove me to the church. He said, Brother Chapel, I want to thank you for supporting Brother Bordell. He said, I was a 17-year-old boy on drugs with no mother and no father. But Brother Bordell told me that Jesus loved me and Jesus died for my sin. He said, today I own the largest asphalt company in all of Costa Rica and I owe it all to the Lord Jesus and to a missionary who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with me. I met another man who owned a series of various grocery stores. He told me, he said, I was saved when I was 16 years old. Brother Bordell met me on the street and story after story and today a great amazing church, the largest Baptist church in the country of Costa Rica. Why? Because of a man who was a hippie who rode a motorcycle to church because he knew so much about ministry. Not at all. Because there is power in the Word of God. There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And oh, the Word of God is so important to the calling of ministry. We are called to herald the Word. But we are called, secondly, to surrender for the work. It's not a matter of simply knowing biblical facts. Notice what Paul says in verse 17. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Now here we see a description of ministry that's not often understood. Many people view the ministry kind of like a job, you know, like, you know, like you go into IBM or you, you go into uh, uh, Motorola and you, you know, you do your eight to five, you get your check. Paul doesn't describe the ministry that he says here in verse 17, if I be offered upon the sacrifice. Folks, God in ministry is often way better to us than we deserve. But you don't approach the ministry with the idea of what are the perks for me. That's not the idea of ministry. The idea of the calling is how can I pour my life out for Him? And this is what Paul is saying. If I be offered, if I be offered upon the sacrifice... Here we see he speaks of his life as a drink offering, something that is going to be poured out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle said, this one thing I do, it was the pursuit of God and the pursuit of the will of God. Both the Jews and the Gentiles would have understood the implied imagery of the drink offering or a libation or a ritual that was familiar to many ancient people groups where in sacrifice they would pour something very valuable out at an altar uh, for their God. It was an act that would symbolize uh, uh, something pleasing, rising up into the nostrils of God. And Paul is saying, my life, my calling is to be poured out. And if I be offered upon the sacrifice and the service of your joy, if I spend my life so that you can know Jesus, so that you can have your sins forgiven, so that you can have a happier marriage, so that you can glorify God, if I pour my life out for you, it's okay. Because he says, that's what the ministry is all about. And I thank God today for pastors like many of yours who went to a city and they're just pouring their life out, preaching and praying and visiting and helping teenagers and serving God. I'm telling you, it's a great joy to be a gospel preacher, to be a servant of the Lord, and to pour your life out for Jesus Christ. David Livingston was a Scottish missionary. He left the area near Glasgow, Scotland, to go to Africa. If you ever visit Westminster Abbey in London, England, as you walk through those massive doors into Westminster Abbey, 
the first grave site that you'll see, the first most notable, always with red carnations around it, is the burial site of David Livingston, one of the great heroes of the United Kingdom. David Livingston spent his life pouring his life out as a drink offering in Africa, leading people to the Lord, cutting roads through the jungles. He was attacked by lions. He was sick on many occasions. But David Livingston was a God-called man who wanted to pour his life out so that others might know the Lord Jesus Christ. The end of his life, he went back to Scotland and preached in a church. And when he stood before the people, he said, If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? If a commission by an earthly king be considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be a sacrifice? Young people always remember, there is no sacrifice too great for our God. And there are people in this room today that God may send to a faraway place to pioneer a work for God, to reach people that would never hear. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 15, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Paul said, listen, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for the Lord. I may serve some people who don't even appreciate it, but I will gladly spend and be spent. I was watching our basketball team as they practiced last night. We normally play schools that are larger than ours. I don't know what the team will be like tonight. Sometimes they'll walk in with guys that are nearly seven feet tall. And uh, I always pray that they'll get saved and enroll at West Coast Baptist College. Amen. Remember a few years ago, we went over to UNLV and uh, we were invited to play UNLV for, for whatever reason. And and uh, we walked into that Max Center, and I thought it would be just a little, just kind of a little scrimmage. And man, they must have had 10,000 fans in there and cheerleaders, and they were all excited to play West Coast Baptist College. And I walked in, and they had not one, they had two guys who were seven feet tall. Now, we had several guys who were 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, I mean, we were <laughs> close, but it was quite amazing. And by the way, you know what was amazing about that? is watching those seven-foot men as our players went and gave them gospel tracts at the end of that game and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. But I was thinking about last night's practice and, you know, one of the things that we have to do because we play these huge men, we have to spend time conditioning. We have to make sure that at the last five minutes of the fourth quarter, if, if we don't have height on them, we've at least got energy on them. We've, we've got to take time to spend ourselves and be spent in the practice in order to be used in the ball game. And God is looking for some men today who are not necessarily looking for a career, not necessarily looking for a good time, not necessarily looking for 17 majors and 14 colleges, and one day when I turn 40, I'll figure out what God's will is for my life. God is looking today for some young men and some young ladies who would say, Lord, here's my life. Take it and use it. I pour it out on the altar for you, Lord. It's yours. Take my life and use it for your glory, to be spent for the Lord Jesus Christ. This call to ministry is a call to the Word. This call to ministry is a call to the work. I want you to notice secondly today, not only the call to the ministry, but the concern in the ministry. Now, if God puts us into the ministry, what is our primary concern? Some people might think the primary concern is technological or the primary concern is architectural and all of those things have a place. 
But may I tell you that other than your walk with God and the Word of God, God places you into the ministry for people, for people who need the Lord. Now look what it says in verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy as shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Paul is saying here, I'm going to send Timothy to you at Philippi. I'm going to send my my best man, someone that's really a good student, someone that understands this life of the called servant of God. And notice why he does this in verse 19. He says, because I want to know your state. Paul is writing from prison But while he's in prison, he's still burdened about the churches and the Christians. And I want you to take note of this, that the God-called man is always concerned about the health of the local New Testament church. It doesn't matter where he's at. He is concerned for the people of God. He wants to know the condition of the church. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, 23, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and to look well to thy herds. I often teach my class in practical theology, various methodologies for knowing not just the attendance, but the spirit, the attitude of the church, and how to confront situations in the church, and how to have a healthy church, and and how to pastor and love the church. Listen, the concern in the ministry is the health of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ locally. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1 says, the elders or pastors which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away." Now, ladies and gentlemen, this morning, I am an under-shepherd. That's what God has called me to do. I am an under-shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. And one day, I will give an account to Jesus for this church. And I want to do my very best. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to not know what's happening in the church. I don't want to miss somebody who's maybe spiritually backsliding or someone that's in the hospital or someone that has a burden because their teenager is uh, running away or whatever the case might be. The concern of a God. God-called man is to know the condition of the church. And the concern of a God-called lady is the same, that she in the local church ministry might know her class and might know the needs of those to whom she is ministering. There is a true and a great concern. And I'm going to tell you, you'll know when God is calling you because suddenly you won't just look at the bus route as a number of people, or you won't just look at the bus route as something you kind of have to do, but suddenly you'll actually care about those children whose father's in jail, whose mother's on drugs. Suddenly you'll start to look at people who have such difficult lives and and you realize that you're dropping by and you're bringing them some candy, you're sharing the gospel with them is one of the very few times in a seven-day period that they ever know that they are loved. And suddenly you think about them and you pray for them. Suddenly you realize there's a whole world like that who needs the love of God. And I believe God wants my life to be a life given to that. Let somebody else have their liberal arts and get a master's degree in physical therapy. Let somebody else spend their life rubbing somebody's back. I'm going to spend my life giving the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
You see, you know you're called when you begin to sense that God wants you to make a difference in someone's life. God wants you to help someone know how to get to heaven. God wants you to be the one who's there when someone's wife passes away after 54 years of marriage. Maybe just to sit and pray. Maybe to go buy them a cup of coffee. Maybe to open the Word, and because you've studied the Word, you know which verses to share. You know which psalm to go to. God wants you to be the one to help that teenager struggling with salvation. He wants you to know the doctrine of eternal security so that you can open that Bible up and help them. God wants you to be the one to go to that officer whose partner was just killed, and I've been there many times. And God wants you to be the one to open the Bible and say, listen, there's a home in heaven. You can know that you're on your way to heaven. God wants you to be the one to go into this hurting culture, and you'll know that God's calling you to the ministry when all of a sudden you actually start caring about these people. You're starting to be burdened about these people. I remember a few years ago, I was watching Fox News, and there was a man on the news from L.A. County, the assistant district attorney. And he was talking about crime and how our current DA is supported by George Soros, and they're letting all the bad guys go, and that's happening in a lot of big countries, uh, big counties right now. I was just watching the guy, and I knew a former district attorney in L.A., and the Lord put on my heart, you need to call that man. And I called that man on the phone, and I said, I saw you on, on Fox News. I just want you to know I appreciate what you said, and I'll be praying for you. I said, I'd like to invite you and your family to come and visit our church. He came the next Sunday. He came again the next Sunday. He and his wife accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. He's now running to be the district attorney here in Los Angeles County. He's doing very well in the polls and texts me every day, and I pray with him and constantly trying to encourage him. His name is John Hatami. I wish you'd pray for him. You see, when God puts a burden on your heart and a calling on your heart, you don't just look at the news in the same way. You actually see people. And I, I'm here to tell you that there are people that need you to reach out to them. They need you to care for them. And Paul said, listen, this calling, it's created a great concern in my heart. And the concern is for the condition of people, especially the church, that I might know the flock of God. Notice, secondly, his concern was for the concerns within the church. The condition of the church. The concerns of the church. Look at verse 20. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. He says, I'm going to send Timothy to help you. Because we need some men that are like-minded who will naturally care for your state. And he, he said, I think Timothy cares for you like I care for you. Would be to God that every church had a God-called pastor who cared for the flock and a God-called youth pastor and a God-called assistant pastor and God-called deacons who all together cared for the flock of God. That's what this is all about. It's the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember years ago, I had been helping a man and counseling him some and had taken him out to breakfast, tried to help his marriage. And I was getting on an airplane to go somewhere to preach. And as I was getting on the airplane, the Holy Spirit placed that man on my heart. One of the things we try to emphasize here at West Coast is a simple little phrase, obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit. Let's say that together. Obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit. You mean like calling a guy on Fox News if that's what the Holy Spirit tells you to do? And that day, the Holy Spirit was burdening me for this gentleman that I'd counseled, I called our assistant pastor, Brother Furso. I said, Brother Furso, 
you know so-and-so he's been coming to church yes I said I don't know why I can't I can't tell you exactly why I just can't get him off my heart I have a very heavy burden for him this morning I want you to go by and see him and uh, I said I want you to do it quickly he went by the house I got on the plane I landed a few states over phone rang it was brother first so he said pastor he said I walked into that house that man had a 357 revolver on the table and was within minutes of taking his own life he said I was able to pray with him I took the gun he said I've, I've got I took the gun I, I, I helped him I, I encouraged him in the Lord He said, well, what are, so, are you saying you're some kind of a prophet no I'm a man subject to like passions just like you but I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God I'm saying when you're called to the ministry, the needs of people are real to you. You want to help and make a difference in their life. You want to see that they are fed scripturally. You want to see that they are protected from false doctrine. You want to nurture them in their time of need. You want to seek those that go astray. Turn, if you would, in your Bible to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. I want you to see the heart of this as the Apostle Paul speaks to the elders at the church of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, describing the ministry to them. He says in Acts 20, 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves. Again, the ministry starts with a right walk with you and the Lord. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you not sparing the flock, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, <coughs> to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. Sometimes the job of the pastor is to protect the flock from within. Sometimes to protect from without. Sometimes the assistant pastor sees these things as well. And he's helping the pastor. But this shepherd's heart, oh, this is a situation that could hurt the church. Something from without that's been said. Something from within that is happening. And there are concerns that a God-called person has. And by the way, every one of us as God-called people ought to love our church and be concerned that it stays strong and a soul-winning church for the Lord Jesus Christ. It ought to hurt you when a church is hurt or struggling or suffering. I remember years ago, our church was growing a couple hundred every year, and, and uh, people would come by. And for some reason, on Sunday nights, for about 15 Sunday nights in a row, we had a whole group of Mormon missionaries that would come by. It was like we were the field trip for them or something. And I didn't mind them coming by. They'd sit in the back. They all had their, their badges on Elder Joe Smith and stuff like this. And it was always interesting to me because a lot of the elders were just still struggling with acne and, and uh, you know, just really young men. But they call them elders, you know. And uh, they would sit back there. That was fine. But one Sunday night, they started trying to talk to our teenagers, trying to talk about Joseph Smith, trying to talk about Brigham Young. And I'd be glad to talk about Brigham Young. He had 78 wives. Joseph Smith was a gold digger and a liar. I mean, I'm glad to talk about it too, but I don't think it's appropriate to go to someone else's church and try to proselytize inside their building. And I remember one night getting up here to baptize, and I don't know why Brother Getch, it just came over me. It started in my toes, came all the way up, came out my mouth. I said, now we're here to baptize. 
And we're not baptizing for dead relatives. We're baptizing to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is eternal God. Jesus uh, is not the brother of Satan. Jesus Christ did not become a God. He is eternal God. And I just began to preach, and I preached about Brigham Young's 87 wives, and I preached about Joseph Smith's false revelations and digging graves out in New York. And I just preached for a while and preached and preached and preached until finally all 12 of those Mormon missionaries felt the need to go ahead and leave the property. Say, why did you do that? Just to prove what you knew from the Bible or to embarrass them. No, there is a point in time when a shepherd senses, you know what? I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I've got to protect the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll know God's putting something in your heart when you start to love people more than yourself. You'll know God's putting something in your heart when you actually love the church. You actually love the people of the church. You actually see some of the elderly ladies, not as someone to get out of your way, but somebody that's a few days from heaven or somebody that's lonely God begins to change your attitude toward people we see the call to the ministry we see the concern in ministry I want you to notice thirdly the companion in ministry now look at Paul's companion in verse 20 he says I have no man like-minded he says of this Timothy this companion that he is a like-minded companion now, what are we saying today at West Coast Baptist College as we gather together? We are saying it is time for some of you to become companions in the ministry. For some of you to consider the call of God to preach, to be a missionary, to be a Christian educator, to work on a church staff, to help involved in missions or evangelism or whatever God may call you to do. We're saying, hey, why don't you join the ranks and why don't you recognize that, uh, that every day of my life I receive calls from churches that need staff and they need pastors and, and pastors are retiring and missionaries are dying and people are leaving the field and we need another generation who are like-minded, who love Jesus, who love the doctrine of the Word of God, who want to live a pure and a holy life to say, here am I, Lord, send me. We need companions in the ministry. We need some of you to realize it's time to join the ranks. It's time to get involved. It's time to set your life in a direction of service, like-minded. Now, isn't it sad in one way that Paul said, I have no man like-minded? Sometimes it's sad for me if I see a church member that falls away spiritually. It's, it always hurts my heart. If I see a college graduate that goes to a woke denomination, it always breaks my heart. It always hurts to see someone that, that falls away. But then I remember Paul one time said, Demas hath forsaken me. I remember there was a man named Judas who carried the bag with Jesus. And, and I realized that, sadly, not every church member, not every graduate stays true to the very end. But here's one who did. Timothy. Timothy was a man who had that similar calling as the Apostle Paul, that similar doctrine, that similar burden. He was a man uh, that, that was, uh, uh, could be asked to go and meet the need. And listen, you want to be that man. You want to be that woman that, that when the time comes and, and there's a need to replace a missionary in Japan or in Mexico or there's a need to replace a pastor in Idaho or Washington State uh, or, or, or Nebraska or Florida and, and the need arises and you've been to Bible college and you've been faithful and you've been just doing the very best that you can 
and you're trying to study the Word of God and be a like-minded, Bible-believing, Baptist young person, and suddenly God will open doors for you and you're going to go, I never thought this would ever happen. I just didn't ever dream this would ever happen. But that's what was happening for Timothy. Doors were opening. Timothy became, if you would call it, a bishop of sorts, one that helped many churches as Paul died because he was faithful, he was like-minded. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 10, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Think about that verse, 2 Timothy 3.10. Thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life. Paul had said, hey, Timothy, here's my doctrine. Here's what I believe. It's right out there for you. And let me tell you something. Doctrine matters. And then he said, Timothy, you've known my manner of life. You've known I haven't been shifty. I haven't been dishonest. I haven't been someone that's living in sin. I haven't been telling bad jokes. He said, you've known my doctrine and you've known my manner of life. And then he says, and Timothy is like-minded with me. And I'm going to tell you, young people, you want to find some people in your lifetime who have straight doctrine and who have a godly life. And and listen, sometimes men will disappoint. Sometimes men will fail. But there are many who are faithful. Get around them and learn from them and learn from the Word of God. And that's one of the best things that happens in a good Bible college is the mentoring from men like this who have preached for 50 years or so. And men like Dr. Rasmussen taught in Bible colleges for 40 years and the faculty and staff of this place who have a real walk with God and and you can learn and grow and be encouraged by them. And Timothy was just one of those men that said, I want to soak it up. I want to get around this. I want to know more and more about this. And so here we see the companion in ministry was a like-minded companion, equal in soul, having the same spirit as well. And then not only do we see that he was like-minded, but I want you to see this, Bible college students especially, notice this verse 20. For I have no man like-minded, no man like-minded, notice this phrase, who will naturally care for your state. Let's say that together. Who will naturally One more time. Who will Here we see that Timothy not only was like-minded, but he was insightful. He was insightful. The word naturally speaks of, of sincerely knowing. And I believe that being in a local church Bible college helps you to gain insight about ministry. Timothy, in comparison to others, instinctively knew. He would know when it's time to make that hospital visit. He would know when it's time to go say, all right, guys, we need to start class. He would know when it's time to say, choir, let's not, let's not do that. He would know perhaps when it's time to say, you know, we better not sing that song. That, that song's not doctrinally sound. He might have even said, I don't think the Apostle Paul would have sung that one. You gain instincts when you, if you hang around holy, godly men, if you stay in the Word of God, you begin to gain certain instincts about the Christian life and the ministry. And, 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 and as you mature, you don't have to be told every single thing. You don't have to be said, you know, you ought to go soul winning this week. You just instinctively know that that's going to be a part of your schedule. You just instinctively know if you teach the teenagers that if one's in the hospital, you're going to be there. You just instinctively know that, uh, that if, if pastor got uh, several uh, really discouraging letters or 
or, or people were unkind to him. You just, you want to lift up his burden. And this is what was said about Timothy. That he said uh, he's a man that naturally knows what to do. It's just a part of his life. And these are things that can be learned through experience. And these are things that can be taught. And these are things that can be witnessed in the right kinds of local churches. And notice he says, someone that will naturally care for your estate. Here we see a like-minded man, an insightful man. I also want you to see a word that I think is important, a loyal man. Notice in verse 21 it says, For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Timothy was a loyal man. He was loyal to the Lord. He was not in it for himself. He was in it for the Lord. He was a man that obviously wanted to be loyal to the cause of Christ. There was no personal uh, agenda in this for him. 1 Corinthians 10, 32, Give none offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they might be saved. You know, I, I've been uh, involved in working with young people for many years now. I've been pastoring here for 37 years. Sometimes I'll see a teenager that, boy, they get excited. They're going to serve God. They're not exactly sure what else is going on. They're going to go to a year of Bible college. They're going to go to four years of Bible college. They surrender to the Lord. And you know, some people see that, people that are more worldly-minded or more carnal-minded sometimes, and they'll say, why would you do that? Because many of those people believe that life is all about yourself. The advancement of your kingdom. The attainment of your material possessions and certainly you know you want to go to a career where you can make money and sometimes I have people say well all right you know go get a little Bible but then be sure to get a good secular degree so you have a fallback position listen men who are pouring their life out as an offering to Jesus Christ are not looking for a fallback position they are all in for Jesus Christ Amen. and don't you let anybody act like well why would you want to Go into the ministry. My question is, why wouldn't you? Who is it that would keep you back? Why wouldn't you want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, the call to ministry is a call to God and the Word of God. The concern in ministry is a concern for people and the needs of the local church. The companions in ministry. The companions are needed. We need co-laborers. We need godly women today in this building who will say, Here am I, Lord, use me. We need godly men who would say, Here am I, Lord, use me. I want to be a like-minded servant. I want to walk in the paths of these preachers that have tried to help me. I want to be faithful in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we pray this morning, God, give us men ribbed with steel of your Holy Spirit, men who will not flinch when the battles fire crest, men uh, who will not acquiesce or compromise or fade when the enemy rages. God, give us men who can't be bought bartered or badgered by the enemy men who will pay the price make the sacrifice stand the ground and hold the torch high god give us men obsessed with principles true to your word men stripped of self-seeking and, and a longing for your security men who will pay any price for freedom and go any length for truth god give us men delivered from mediocrity men with high vision men with a faith wide men with love deep men with patience long men who will dare to march to the drumbeat of a distant drummer, men who will not surrender principles of truth in order to accommodate their peers. 
God, give us men more interested in scars than medals, more committed to conviction than convenience. Men who will give their life for the eternal instead of indulging their lives for a moment in time. God, give us men, men who are fearless in the face of danger, calm in the midst of pressure, bold in the midst of opposition. God, give us men who will pray earnestly, work long, preach clearly, and wait patiently. God, give us men who walk by faith, whose behavior is by principle, whose dreams are in heaven, and whose book is in the Bible. I say to you this morning, as a man who's preached now for four decades, God, give us men, and God, give us men this morning, men from Nebraska and Colorado and Indiana and California, men that are here amongst this group of a couple of hundred seniors and juniors who will say, I'm done with low living. I'm done with pleasing my friends and peers. I want to please God. I want to be a man. I want to be a woman who will serve the Lord Jesus Christ. God, give us men, men like William Borden. He went to Yale he had his education. He had a father who owned an amazing conglomerate of companies. All he had to do was step into the office and take his position. He would become heir to a multi-million dollar empire. Quite a bit of money back in the early 1900s. But William Borden was saved. I said, William Borden was saved. If you know what that means, it means you are not your own. It's not up to you to determine where you go to college. It's not up to you to determine where you go to work. If you understand what it means to be saved, you understand somebody has purchased you lock, stock, and barrel. And William Borden kind of got that. And though he could have left Yale and gone into the corporate world and had his fallback life. He was saved. He was under new ownership. And he surrendered his life to be a missionary, of all things, to the Arabic-speaking people. He left Yale. And before he left Yale, he wrote in his Bible just one little phrase. The phrase he wrote was, no reserve. In other words, My dad may not understand what I'm about to do, but I have no reserves. I'm going to go serve God, and I'm going to tell Muslim people about Jesus Christ. He got to Egypt. He began to learn the language, the culture. He became deathly ill with meningitis. He laid in his early 20s on a deathbed. Struggling with that disease, he wrote down in his Bible the word, the words, no regret. No, excuse me, no retreat. He came a few months further into his sickness. They told him his life would soon be gone. He wrote down these words, no regret. No reserve, no retreat no regret. I was preaching in Egypt last year. God gave us an amazing meeting. We had over 800 Muslim people each night, and we had 70 that turned from Islam and turned to Jesus Christ as their Savior. The last few days, as I said earlier, sometimes God lets you experience things that you never thought, and 
They said, we'd like to show you a little of our city. We saw the pyramids. We saw some things. We saw the Nile River. But there was something I wanted to see. I wanted to go to the American Cemetery. Listen closely and we'll be done. The American Cemetery. You say, you wanted to go to a cemetery? Yes. We drove past the most dilapidated buildings and impoverished people I'd ever seen in my life. We came around a corner. We went into the American Cemetery. Listen, please. As I walked through the American Cemetery, there were two or three hundred graves, mostly of young people from America in their 20s, from colleges that I could name that used to be what we would call fundamental, that used to send missionaries. One after another, single women, single men. I walked past all of these all of these names, I began to Google them. A Baptist missionary from this state, uh, a, a missionary from Moody Bible Institute, uh, this one or that. All, I began to realize I'm, I'm standing on holy ground. These were not people that wanted to get a computer degree and their goal in life was a red Lamborghini and a girlfriend. These were people who sold out for Jesus. God called people. who could have had whatever life they wanted and they gave their life to Jesus and I went to the very corner of that graveyard and there it was William Borden's gravestone words of his life his mother had taken a ship she had found this place to bury him she had this stone made and there were those words no reserve no retreat no regret. Some of you are already in Bible college. We know the devil tries to shake you up the whole time you're here about what else you could do. And some of you ought to come to this altar this morning and say, devil, no reserve. No retreat. I'm not going back to mama. Not going back to my worldly girlfriend. Not going back to my homeboys back at home. I'm not going back. I will not retreat no reserve no retreat no regret I've given my life to Jesus like a poured out offering on the altar I am his he is mine that's settled and I don't mean to try to hasten and I cannot take the place of the Holy Spirit nor would I ever seek to do that but some of you who are seniors and you've been going through this, well, what about this and what about that? That guy's nice. This place is nice. Oh, this is neat. I could do that and still have this other little side job. And my girlfriend's going and my boy. And, and, and you're all in this fog of decision. And some of you need to step out of the fog this morning. And you need to just say, Lord, here's my life. Take it. And I dare say if some of you wouldn't come to California to go to Bible college, you'd never go to Africa to be a missionary anyways. Because pouring your life out as a drink offering is a total surrender to Jesus, to the cause of Christ. It is the greatest need of this hour. It is the calling of God that every one of us must hear. Father in heaven, would you give us a a William Borden this morning.
God, give us a man, give us a woman today that would say no reserve, no retreat, no regret. I'm not playing games here. I want to serve the Lord with my whole life. Help us, Lord, to pour our lives out as a sacrifice unto you. Please speak to hearts this morning. Our heads are bowed this morning. Our eyes are closed. How many of you in this room can say, Pastor Chapel, to the best of my knowledge, I've already surrendered my life to the Lord. I know that I'm a purchased possession. I've surrendered my life to serve the Lord. I don't understand everything about pouring it out like a drink offering, but as best I know, he's called me to serve him, and I'm not fighting him on that issue. Whatever he wants, that's, that's what I want. And there's been a time at teen camp or here at Bible college, I've made this decision. I'm going to serve the Lord with my life. It's settled. Would you lift your hand if you've made that general decision already? Here's my life, Lord. Take it. Use it. It's yours. Don't be ashamed of that. You made that decision. Put your hand up. God bless you. You put your hands down. How many are here this morning? You say, Pastor Chapel, I don't know really what it all means or where it all leads, but what you preached about this morning, that's the life I do want. I, I want to have a life that is a God-called life, a life that's more concerned for others than myself, a like-minded life. I, I know sometimes I rebel against my parents or my pastor, my youth pastor, but really I want to stand where they stand for Jesus. That's really what I want. I've never previously surrendered my life to serve the Lord in ministry. I've never previously said, Lord, called me to ministry. But this morning I sense very clearly God wants my life to be as a poured out sacrifice to him. And I sense very clearly this morning that I need to be one of those who says, no reserve, no retreat, no regret. If you've never made that decision before, may I pray with you, if God is calling you to make such a decision, would you lift your hand? Just hold your hand up. God's calling me this morning. God bless you. Who else this morning? God's calling me this morning to make that decision. I'm not just going to do a little educational experience. I'm giving my life to the Lord. God bless you. Write that down and pray over it this morning. God bless you, young man. God bless you. Many of you that have been called to ministry, you're already here to train. Most of our guests that are with us raised your hand. You said, I've surrendered. Let me have our guest. If you're a guest teenager, would you look up at me for just a moment? If you're a guest teenager, let me just visit with you. We're very glad that you're here today. God has you here for a purpose. Most of you said, I've, I've felt the call of God. I've surrendered to God for whatever he has in my life. That's a serious thing. Don't say that and find yourself in some liberal arts kind of a noncommittal. If the Lord has called you to some type of ministry, then I want to encourage you today to pursue that. Your pastor, your parents, they know where you're at today. You're at a Bible college checking it out. Don't feel like you have to play the field. We don't want anyone here that God doesn't want here. But if God wants you to get ready for ministry, here's a local church, Bible college, ready to help you get ready to serve and to pour your life out for Jesus. And I can tell you that your life is needed and will count in the cause of Christ. And it may be that your decision today, some of you will be, I'm going to go to West Coast. That's a great decision for you. And we want to encourage you to do whatever God would have you to do.